Now, if you think about all those problems, that's it's also design. The design for tomorrow, whether it be six months or, or two to five years down the road, is still design. Thanks for tuning into Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Phil Balazs, who is an experienced design director at McKinsey Design and also the founder of the Design Futures Initiative, which is a non-profit initiative that focuses on events, workshops, focused on speculative design, design fiction, futurism and foresight. Phil is a design leader with demonstrated history on working on various digital aviation and aerospace industry and experience designing across variety of devices and platforms with non-profit retail, advertising and enterprise software organizations. He's been also a keynote speaker at various occasions evangelizing the speculative design. In this episode, Phil has shared wonderful insights on speculative design and what exactly is speculative design and why is it necessary for a designer to speculate. We also spoke on how speculative design can be integrated with design thinking to form theories or fiction of the future. In the end, we spoke on few frameworks and the processes that one must start to begin with speculative design. And we also discussed on few limitations with speculative design. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi, Phil. Welcome to Node Job Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So, Phil, how's your day going? Um, my day is fine. You know, it's, it's a busy week. I kind of forgot what day is it. What is it, Friday? It's Friday here in the United States. Yeah, I go through these moments where I, I, I forget what day it is and what time it is. I'm, I'm sitting down at my desk for so long. Phil, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. My name is Phil Blactus. I'm the founder and president of the Design Futures Initiative. We're... Uh, 501c3 nonprofit here in San Francisco, California, dedicated to the advancement and education of futures design, which incorporates speculative design and strategic foresight. Thank you so much, Phil. So basically, what was your journey into design and how did you start? What are your tips to the beginners that you want to suggest? Mm, my journey. I'm, I'm trained as a graphic designer. I got my undergraduate degree in graphic design and visual arts, and I was supposed to be doing books and magazines. But before I graduated, I was very fascinated with the web and learned how to code and became a web designer after that. And then uh, did that for a little bit. And in 2007, I moved to San Francisco, started studying design thinking. I went back and got my master's at the California College of the Arts and learned research and became a UX designer and strategist, I, I think. <laughs> and I got a job in, in Silicon Valley, as many do here in, in San Francisco. And what's my, uh, my tips for beginners? You know, there's so many designers that are out there today. There's a lot more than there used to be. Um, and I think we, we sort of forget how important design is, the design of systems, uh, design, not just the design of products or tech tools and services, but design of policies and really the, those interconnected systems that help govern us as a society, not just the things we use. And so I would really try to look beyond what, you know, a thing or an object and try to really continue to scan the world and think about what is good design and how can I make a much greater impact on, on the rest of the world. Thank you so much, Bill. So let's begin our episode today with discussion on speculative design. So what is speculative design and benefits of speculative design? One and why is it essential for any designer to speculate? <laughs> it's funny because I've been talking about this topic for 
so many years, I feel like it's over a decade, but every time someone asks me, I always have a hard time responding because it's it's an evolving uh, definition, I feel like. Speculative design doesn't necessarily have to be in the future, though that's uh, typically how you see it, how people categorize it. But I, I always think of it as sort of a vehicle. It's a, it's a methodology for crafting visions of what a possible or alternate future or alternate realities might be like to provoke some kind of a discussion about how design can have an impact and yeah, I mean, there's speculative design, which design is usually associated with artifacts and tangible things. Is that's why it's sort of a vehicle. Um, but there's a whole strategy around that for how do you how do you speculate about the future? And I think that's one thing that people miss a lot is that a designed object or futureless futuristic object isn't just a, a piece you talk about. But there's a lot of thinking that goes around. What are the trends that that create this future? What are the um, what, what are the influencing factors for what this world might look like? What does the world look like in this future um and it's uh it's it's a way of, of kind of provoking a discussion much needed discussion about what what kind of future we want or don't want i don't know if that's very abstract <laughs> thank you phil so how can we speculate design be integrated into design thinking like to create or to form the stories of fiction of the future well, i guess i should sort of foray the last question to this question uh with an example so that people understand it because i felt like my answer was very abstract but when you think of like i don't know the future of of farming or the future of healthcare, really. And that's a really important one today. We are in a very turbulent time. We don't really know what the next six months is going to look like, much less the next two to five years and with regard to COVID. Now is a very, very, very good opportune time for us to be practicing speculative futures thinking, really trying to see right beyond the corner, what are the needs of patients in the future? What does that world look like? What is What are the remnants of the COVID era? Are we through the COVID era? Do we think we'll be through the COVID era? Um, what does culture look like at that time? I mean, we already have these weird social contracts that we have to create today with the masks and the distancing, which is changing the way that we interact as humans. Now, if you think about all those problems, that's it's also design, right? The design for tomorrow, whether it be six months or, or two to five years down the road, is still design, no matter how you think of it. So we're really think we're really trying to push this in our community and even in our workplaces about strategic thinking through futures thinking, where we are looking at what are the current trends, really having our fingers on the pulse of what's going on and um, creating scenarios, multiple scenarios. What happens if this happens or if this happens or this happens? Because I think that's where we've failed in the past is we haven't been, one, inclusive in the conversations for who our products are designed for, uh, two, holistically uh, intelligent about the scenarios that might appear the good and the bad, we're sort of only preparing for the scenario which gives us our bottom line or, you know, the immediate return on investment, whatever that might that may be, and not really thinking about the negative aspects of what could happen. So I think that design thinking is going to continue to evolve. We're seeing a lot of uh, interest in these methodologies. We're not trying to, you know, change design. We're trying to say, let's enhance design. Let's think about more, more people, more impact, more scenarios, more implications and design around those, or at least put up the contingencies for it. Contingency doesn't have to be this brand new feature that costs millions of dollars that you have to bolt on just because you're not sure if it's going to happen or not as a safety. I mean, contingencies can be in the form of policy as well about who uses, how you, how things are used, to what, to what end and to what reach, those kind of things. Is that, um, <laughs> does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any framework or process you suggest for how to design looking at the futures and design for product or services? Um, the frameworks or processes. Well, so everyone always wants to know the answer to this question. How do, how do we do it? Um, and how do we integrate it? 
I guess the frameworks that I've been talking about for quite some time have been uh, the Features Code, which is also called the Cone of Possibility, where which starts, starts to set a baseline for how people think about the future. At least they start to realize that the future is in one path. It's There are several alternative possibilities and plausibilities in the future. And so once you start to understand that the world opens up, um, you have more, I guess, um, room to play with or room for imagination or at least openness to, to something different. That's one. Setting, setting the foundation that there's multiple futures. Two is, uh, we all see the, the, the implications wheel, which is uh, a wheel with concentric circles. And they are, um, each circle is, a, is an implication. So you put in the center your event, your idea, your trend, your whatever it might be. And you draw a line from that center to some other bubble on the, on the first, on the outside. And that's your direct implication. That's exactly what's going to happen, what we expect to happen if this becomes true. If autonomous cars become ubiquitous, we know there will be they, there might be less accidents. It's it's a known fact. But every every event that happens beyond that point is an, is an indirect implication or just another consequence, a second order consequence, a third order consequence. And the more you start to map out all of these different implications, you start to again it opens up the world. It gives you um, it shows you the blind spots, and you start to discover more about this idea or trend or whatever it might be than you did before. So those are, those are a couple of different ways of looking at it. And then there's this whole other discipline we talk a lot about called strategic foresight, which is a, a very methodical practice where you have a lot of different analytical frameworks. You're analyzing trends and pushing them to the future. You're doing historical analysis and there's there's a whole big toolkit. And I think that there's a, a, a very useful way to use those along with speculative frameworks to really carve out what that world is going to be like. So uh, STEEP is a, is, a, is a famous one, S-T-E-E-P, which stands for Social, Technological, Environmental, Economical, and Political uh, Layers of whatever it is you're looking at. So if you look at what the environment of 2020, 2030 is going to be look, look, 2030 is going to look like, and you do a STEEP analysis on it, like what does a social landscape look like? What's our economic landscape look like? What's the technology that's prevalent in this time? What's our political spectrum spectrum look like? You get to start to see the world and shape the world from a macro lens. And then you can do, you can do a steep analysis on your workplace if you want to. You get very micro. But once you start to build in all those all those gaps, you start to understand this is the world that we're living in, that, we, that we're eventually going to live in. Now we can design around it. And that's where speculative design comes in. So steep plus um, the implications plus just the, the craft of the design is what helps create those artifacts. You can pick an implication that's on you know the outer rim, the third order in, in consequence and design around that problem. That's where the pandemic lived. That's where these blind spots lived in those 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 uh, outer rims. Thank you, Phil. So any limitations to keep in mind in speculative design? The greatest limitation that we've found so far is adoption. And, and of course, you know, buy-in. <laughs> it sounds like that's everything, really. It's like, oh, someone's got to actually believe it for it to be valid. Um, a lot of companies that seek speculative design, they seek a vision, but yet they're not always prepared to invest in a vision that's beyond the next two, three years. Because if you look at something that's five to 10 years beyond, how do you actually put the money down on something that you can't measure for five or 10 years, the whole world will change so dramatically in the next five or 10 years. Like, how do you know you're, you're investing in the right thing? How do you put that much um, money and, and, and effort behind it? But 
you get like a, a business strategist, you get like a consultant to come in and they do a bunch of PowerPoint charts and they do these very linear progressions and they say, in the next 10 years, you're going to make this much money or lose this much money. And yet to a business that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, let's change everything. But you come in from a design perspective and say, I've, I've created this, this, this world for you in 10 years and it's going to look like this. And this is how we're going to act as a society. And this is what the environment's going to look like. And, you know, and you start to create this really rich and vivid picture. And then you put this artifact in the middle of it and say, this is a speculative design of something that you might want to create. It becomes this, uh, it's not, it's, it's a little scary. It looks a little bit science fiction. And sometimes businesses don't uh, grasp onto that world, which is mind boggling. Uh, the way that they grasp onto the PowerPoint chart with, <laughs> with the, with the, um, you know, the lines and, and all the line charts and, and all the big numbers. And so it shows you that they really care about numbers for, for one thing, but getting them invested in that long-term view is sometimes is sometimes very difficult. I mean, who, ca- who cares about the process and how it got there? It's just like investing in this this vision is sometimes not easy, but it, it's getting traction. You know, people have been doing vision-y future videos and, and the future of work and, and the future of automobiles and all kinds of stuff. So we've sort of been doing it for a long time. We just haven't been calling it speculative design or, or featuring. It's been around. Thank you so much, Phil, for a wonderful insight. So we'll end the show by you recommending us three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in the space. Well, I think there's there's one book that I used to always recommend, and it was, it's not a features book. It's called um, Exposing the Magic of Design. It's by John Colco. For me, uh, again, back to one of your, your first questions, looping back around on tips for, for designers and like, my answer being look for good design. Understand how to do good design is very important. And that's sometimes an art and a talent and a science. Um, and this book talks about synthesis, how you synthesis, synthesize ideas. You can go out and be a really good listener and talk to people and learn a lot of things. And, but if you can't synthesize that into a novel you know, design, a novel thing that solves the problem elegantly, beautiful, it, it works well, all that stuff, then you're sort of just, you're not yeah, you could do the job, but you know it's it's better when you do a much more beautiful job. That'll help you with with synthesis and give you some different frameworks for how to how to think about problems and how to solve them uniquely. And then the, the one I always recommend is called Speculative Everything by Anthony Dunn and Fiona Raby. They were professors at the, at the Royal College College of Art Designer, Designing Interactions Program, uh, who coined the term critical design. It's a collection of a lot of their work and some of their students' work, and it's it's a, it's a really beautiful introduction into speculative design. That's very conceptual. So just be careful. It's not like the thing, it's not the, the, the Bible for how you do it in the corporate workplace. So <laughs> just remember that. Um, you know, there's a, there's another one. Let me, can I recommend two more? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. So there's another one called Reframe, which again is also a, a book about design and synthesis and thinking, because I think this is as a foundation before you're doing futures work, it's nice to have a good foundation of, of like design problem solving. Reframe is a great book and I've, all, I've been recommended for such a long time. It's by Mona Patel and it, it, it talks about how do you reframe a problem and God, we could use this use this today is you could reframe any problem on a number in a number of different dimensions number of different frames and it might be um reframe the user the user of of it so if you're talking about a toothbrush how do you reframe the user it's not for humans it's for dogs how does it change if it's for dogs and how does that change the way it's it's created or you're typically a toothbrush you brush your teeth in the bathroom what if you didn't have to brush your teeth in the bathroom you reframe the environment and you have to brush your teeth in the streets 
like in a or in a car or on the go, how does it change what the toothbrush is? It might not be a stick with bristles on the end. It might be something that's hands-free, that's made out of you know organic material that you put in your mouth. It starts to change the, the way the object is. And you can also use that in, on a systems level too. Like what if one system, you fr- reframe the usage of one system into another system. And it, it allows you to give, gives you a much more creative um, output or, 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 or perspective on something. Um, what else? So I, I guess I remember because this one's about this this uh, episode is about speculative design. There is a book that just came out called Discursive Design, and it's a it's a Bruce Tharp is the author, and it's a compendium of speculative and featuring pieces features pieces from decades. He's collected it. It's it's more of a textbook. I think if he uses it, he uses it as a textbook at his uh, course. He's a professor at the University of Detroit Stamps College, and. Um, if you if you just want to see all the different kinds of speculative design work from the conceptual stuff that uh, Fiona Raby and um, Anthony Dunn were putting out to uh, more of the recent contemporary designs that are coming out, both from school and practice professionally, that's a really great book. People who inspire me the most in this space. When I think about that question, I don't have any like real rock stars in my mind. I think about um, there's uh, there's a there's a woman named Nicole, Nicola Holden who is working for an innovation arm. Of the World Food Bank of the United Nations. It's an arm of the United Nations. Now, the World Food Bank is, World Food Pro- Program is um, dedicated to bringing food to uh, populations that need it, whether it's after um, uh, a traumatic a natural event, like a disaster, a natural disaster, or it's just uh, a war-torn country. And they have an innovation group out in Munich, and she leads that group and is um, teaching them how to improve design thinking for delivery into the ground. And um, when you think about the how lucky she is to be in a position to work this connected to the UN and help them with a design process, you know, improve, improve that. So it's more efficient. So lives are saved, not, not just the, the end users lives are saved, but, you know, making it easier for the people who are actually delivering it there also. That's a, that's a heroic um, human being right there. Um, there are a lot of other people that are doing, doing work in, in uh, social impact spaces. And, and we're, we're doing a project with the UN and Martin Whalish. He's a, he's the political, he's the officer at the United Nations Department of Peace Building and Political Affairs. And he's very invested in speculative design and he's been sort of evangelizing it within his department. Again, an innovation cell connected to the, the UN. He reports directly to, to the secretary general, I believe, um, but very interested in this work. And he's, he wants to do something, he wanted to do something around it. And so we're helping him with a competition right now. And, um, that's another, it's another instance of someone who's in, you know, a very, like a globally impacting organization, really all, trying to do the right thing for, for the, um, the human species and really thinking about, uh, thinking outside the box, right? Not thinking conservatively and really trying to understand how do we actually enhance all of this? How do we make it better, faster, um, you know, more effective? Those people are, are amazing. That, those are the heroes that we should be looking for. Not the people with like, you know, millions of followers who, you know, have brands and all that stuff. Though it helps to get, to get the word out. But um, people who are actually like um, making a lot of progress on a global scale, those are the heroes. Indeed, Phil. Thank you so much for your wonderful time. We would love to host you again in our future coming episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this.